0: Welcome back to the MarTech
2: Podcast. Today, we're going to hear from an e-commerce and product search expert. Nia Hani is the co-founder and COO of CPC Strategy. Nia and CPC Strategy help companies such as Reef Sandals, Invicta Watches, and 7th Generation Cleaning Supplies optimize their performance marketing efforts on Amazon, Google, and Facebook. In this episode, Nee's going to walk us through the career experience that led him towards starting his agency and give us an overview of the trends in the product search industry. Here is the first of two parts of our conversation with Nee Ahani from CPC Strategy. Nee, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here, Ben. It's great to have you back. Uh, I want to say that this is the second time we've talked, and unfortunately, our first recording didn't make through the rigors of the internet. So thank you for being patient and being actually our first repeat guest on the MarTech podcast.
1: (laughs) No doubt. We're trying to capture that past magic.
2: The good news is the podcast has grown pretty significantly since we originally recorded our conversation. So uh, hopefully a couple more people will hear this podcast. But That said, let's talk a little bit about you. Tell me about
1: your company and what's your role. So I am the chief operating officer of CPC Strategy, co-founder as well. We've been around for about 11 years, and we're a retail-focused performance marketing agency. And really what that means at the end of the day is that we help brands, both CPG and e-commerce brands, put their products in front of consumers at the places where consumers are spending time online namely Amazon, Google, and Facebook. So you work with
2: companies that are primarily selling physical products, or are you exclusively working with companies that sell physical products?
1: We have slightly over 500 clients, believe it or not. And I would like to say we're exclusively physical products, but we probably have four or five clients that do more services. But yeah, for the most part, 498 of them are physical product companies.
2: So the vast majority of people that you're working with are actually packaging up and shipping off a physical product, and you're helping them get in front of their customers and drive sales in product search categories.
1: That is absolutely correct. Yep.
2: So when we first met, you had just graduated from college, and we both worked at eBay. And I understand you have an e-commerce background. Tell me a little bit about some of the steps you had along the way, and what's your career look like, and how did you end up becoming one of the founders of a relatively large agency?
1: Yeah. So we met at eBay, but before I had my tenure at eBay, I got into AdWords around 2004, 2005. So really, really, really early in the AdWords game. And I was working with local businesses in the San Francisco Bay Area. I went to UC Berkeley and helping them get their initial campaigns up and running on AdWords. So one of the companies that I assisted on their campaigns was DriversEd.com. So that's kind of how I got my experience with PPC really helping companies create campaigns to drive traffic to their websites. And again, way back then, it was extremely inexpensive. We're talking about two cents, three cent clicks. You won't see that anywhere across the globe anymore. But back then, it was a lot easier than it is today. With that experience, I applied to eBay. And fortunately, I was able to land a job in their SEO department or what eBay called natural search. Had a great time there and really learned how enterprise SEO works eBay was so big, they had the domain authority. So it was less so around, hey, let's figure out what keywords we want to rank for. It was more so, how do we leverage all these individuals that are coming to our website to create content? So I was a product manager for a number of different products at eBay, ranging from reviews and guides with Ryan Spoon to eBay Wiki, Best of eBay, even some contributions to my world, if you remember that. pretty sure nobody remembers <laughs> that except the people who worked on it.
2: My world was eBay's version of MySpace, which was trying to turn e-commerce into a social network, for those of you who obviously did not work
1: at eBay. <laughs> the only people who know about my world. But six months into my tenure at eBay, I had an opportunity to sync up with a good friend of mine from UCLA, and we met my sophomore year, his senior year at UCLA. And at that time, he was working for a website called PriceGrabber.com, and that was one of the early vertical comparison shopping websites. And from his experience at PriceGrabber and my experience at eBay, we saw the opportunity to provide managed services for retail organizations, given kind of the gulf and knowledge between, hey, your top 1% of retailers and most of the retailers out there. And that's really how CPC strategy came into being. So
2: let me get this straight. You're an enterprising college kid. You're learning AdWords. You're learning about performance marketing as a side project. You start working at eBay and learn a little bit about content or an organic search. You link up with a buddy who worked at a shopping comparison site. And did you just start managing clients from there? What were the early days at CPC strategy like?
1: Honestly, it sounds insane looking back on it. Cause again, I was 22 when we got started, but yeah, we created the domain name. We hired somebody off of Craigslist to create a website for us. I think it cost maybe $600, $800. And then I drove up to Sacramento to physically register the LLC in Sacramento at the Capitol in February. I actually have a picture up on Facebook, a grainy picture I took with my flip phone back then at the Capitol. (laughs) Got the website up by the end of March and April 1st was our first day open. I was still working full-time at eBay that period of time. And my business partner by then, Rick, he had quit Price Grabber and was dedicated 100% to trying to get this business off the ground. And the very first person he called was an online jewelry store, com, And he said, hey, my name is Rick Backus. I used to work at Price Grabber. I understand that you're advertising on Price Grabber and websites like PriceGrabber." And we just opened up an agency to help you better manage your data feeds and your campaigns on the specific website. And believe it or not, that guy said, yeah, I'm spending a lot of money on Price Grabber and these comparison shopping websites. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I would be more than happy to work with you guys. So the very first person my business partner called, we closed. And that's kind of how the agency got started. $800 website, a trip up to Sacramento and the first cold call. That's how we started managing campaigns.
2: You know, this episode of our podcast is about you, but I'm going to share a similar story about the starting days of my consulting business. I had just left the last startup that I worked for. I was the VP of marketing and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do next. I was planning on taking a little break and I took two days off without actually working. And on the third day, I decided that I was gonna rebuild my personal website. I put up one Facebook post saying, hey, I'm gonna take on short-term projects. I got an inbound request from a close friend of mine who also worked at eBay saying, can you be in my office on Monday? The post was sent out on Friday and I've been working with that client for the last two and a half years. So for those of you who are entrepreneurial and thinking about starting a business, It feels like to me, your best luck is going to be that first email you send. So don't delay and me and I can
1: vouch for you. No doubt. No time like the present, right? (laughs) So you've been doing this for how long now? 11 years. So the company came into inception in 2007, first client April of 2007.
2: And you're up to 500 clients and the office is obviously more than just the two of you. How big is the company now?
1: we are 135 or so employees 134 of them are based here in san diego california downtown and then we have one remote employee nick cotter i'm pretty sure you're listening in boston
2: how did nick end up being the only remote employee he must be
1: (laughs) a very special employee or you were tired of him and you couldn't get rid of him so nick moved out to san diego three years ago from the east coast went to school out east and he's one of the rare individuals that decided San Diego was in the cool place to settle. So we moved back to Boston. And so we give him a hard time about it, but he's a great guy. If you've been to any of CPC Strategies webinars, he's typically the man behind the machine.
2: Not to change subjects, but I wanna get into the details of what used to be called product comparison and now what is basically just product search. You've been in the game for 11 years. Tell us how it's changed.
1: So when we first got started, The major shopping comparison websites or product comparison websites were pricegrabber.com, nextag.com, shopping.com, which is actually owned by eBay and Shopzilla. There was a number of other websites like Like like.com, become.com, but it was a very, very fractured market, meaning that if you had products to sell, one, you had to figure out a way to get your inventory into the servers of these various different websites, and then you had to distribute that data feed to seven to 10 different websites and bid separately for each of them. And that was the fractured environment where CPC strategy kind of got its start over maybe the first four years of the company. We saw consolidation in the market as well as the emergence of Google as a major player in driving shopping consideration at the bottom of the funnel when they turned their free shopping program formerly known as frugal into Google product search or Google shopping as it's known today. And that had a dramatic impact on the entire landscape because Google, at least at that point in time, was where most consumers did their searches when they were looking for a physical product. So the business model of the Next Tags and the Shopping.coms and Shopzilla's.coms was to buy PPC traffic off of Google to send it to a comparison website. The moment Google entered the market with their own product search engine, it kind of disintermediated those specific websites. And so that was the first dramatic change that we saw in our industry. And fortunately for us, because all of those different channels, they were powered by a data feed, and we built a tech stack to allow us to export data feeds from client websites and distribute them out to various different websites, we were one of the first agencies to really ride that wave of Google entering with gusto into the product search space.
2: So let me make sure I understand. There was essentially consolidation in the market. There was various product comparison sites. Google became an entrant into the market with Frugal, which was renamed
1: Google Shopping. Yeah, they've changed the name so many times. It was Frugal, then it was Google Base, then it was Google Product Search, then it was Google PLAs, then it was Google Shopping, and they're probably going to call it something else. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're a so I probably shouldn't say that, but they've renamed that product a lot.
2: Let's just go with Google Shopping for now and them becoming an entrant in the market, basically with the growth of Google as the dominant search engine, forced consolidation. And they're essentially the only relevant player in search. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi, who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. And you mentioned something about a data
1: feed. Can you go into a little bit more detail about what a data feed is? Absolutely. So any website that we go to, whether you're talking about Amazon.com or Macy's.com or Footlocker.com, Of course, we see product detail pages where we can look at a product, see the specs, see images and things like that, and add to cart and buy the product. But when you're looking to advertise those specific products, there needs to be some sort of mechanism to transfer that information in bulk to the various places where you're advertising, be it Google Shopping, be it Facebook, be it Criteo or any of these product specific advertising channels. So the way that happens is that there is an export that comes out of the backends of your Shopify's or your Magento's or whatever your shopping cart is that can be exported on a routine basis off of a website and then modified and syndicated out to the various places where we wanna advertise. Essentially, it's an Excel spreadsheet or it's a CSV that comes out of wherever you have your inventory hosted that an agency like CPC Strategy or the various different search agencies that are out there can take, syndicate, and then start to bid on each specific product the right amount of dollars to be able to send traffic back to your website after they send that feed to the destinations.
2: So data feeds are essentially structured data, right? They're they're very formatted. Tell me about some of the pieces of data. What can you share in a data feed? It's not like you can decide what information you're sharing with these networks. So what are the things that you need to know about a specific product to be able to share it in a data feed?
1: So all advertising destinations are going to have some sort of feed format they're going to request data in and there's going to be minimum requirements as well as additional attributes that you can add. Typically the minimum requirements are going to be things like product name, product price, a link obviously to send traffic to, and the product image. Other attributes that you might find in a data feed are things like the description, things like size, color, variations, weight, size, shipping costs, any information or any attributes that can be used to describe a product, you can find that information in a data feed. So essentially,
2: it's a list of attributes where you have to include the product name, title, image, and you're using a standard format to share all the information about your various products with the different sources that are going to list that product. And we've talked a little bit about Google already, Who are some of the other major players in product search
1: these days? Yeah, so an interesting thing has happened over the last, I would say, six years is that whereas Google is absolutely the go-to place when we're looking for information, Amazon has emerged as the destination most U.S. consumers go to when they know they want to buy a product. So we've seen a dramatic shift in the amount of queries that start and end on Amazon as opposed to starting on Google and ending up on a retailer's website. So when we think about the retail landscape, we have e-com, which is mostly powered by Google. We have Facebook with upper funnel spend and retargeting. And then we have what Amazon has done, which is a completely integrated marketplace where people can start and end their searches on Amazon. And hats off to Amazon for being able to displace Google as a place where consumers go to when they know they want a physical product shipped to them. So that's the dramatic change that we've seen over the last six years. And as an agency, we've been fortunate enough to ride that wave as well by deploying services around maximizing sales on Amazon.
2: So essentially what I'm hearing is that the vast majority of at least U.S. consumers are going directly to Amazon when they know what they're looking to purchase. People are still using Google for research. How does the Shopify's of the world and other carts, how does that play into the overall shopping landscape?
1: So when Google Shopping emerged as a paid channel, Google was very, very aggressive about increasing the amount of shopping ads you saw for retail searches. What that did is it completely transformed the retail landscape. Because previously, the websites that were winning were websites that had a lot of data around the right keywords to buy. So if I had started a website in 2000, let's say for the sake of conversation, GreatShoes.com. I had 10 to 15 years worth of keyword data that told me what keywords were profitable and what keywords were not. When Google created Google Shopping, it took keywords completely away. So when you're a retailer like Foot Locker, who may have been late to online, when they were competing with just keywords, it took a lot of data and data science to figure out what keywords worked and what keywords didn't. Google saw that as an unfair advantage or an advantage to retail destinations, which may not be the best consumer experience, and eliminated the need for keywords. And so with Google Shopping, you don't need keywords at all. All you need is your inventory. And Google figures out which search queries are related to your products. What that means is, or what that meant was that Foot Locker, who typically is going to have a lower price because they have scale, can outcompete your typical e-commerce reseller that might have just marked up the price. So that's the transformation we saw between 2012 to 2014. The emergence of Shopify websites, at least from our standpoint as an agency, is really around the rise of digitally native vertical brands. These are companies like Bonobos and Warby Parkers that aren't necessarily buying traffic off of Google, but they're driving traffic through higher consideration through social channels. So they have a brand and a brand promise and a premium offer, which is very attractive. And they can demonstrate that on social media, places like Instagram and Facebook to drive traffic awareness and consideration. So that funnel is a little bit different because you're less so about trying to get that consumer at the time of comparison. You're more so trying to inspire that consumer to come to your website based on your marketing or your value proposition or how you're really talking to your target consumer. And so the rise of Shopify sites, at least the ones that are successful from our standpoint, really are about driving consideration earlier up in the funnel and then sending that traffic to your website to kind of create a true brand connection as opposed to a commodity shopper that might not really care about the brand and is just looking for the lower price.
2: So if I had to summarize, essentially what I'm hearing is, When people are looking to buy and they already have made their decision on what they're going to purchase, they're likely to go directly to Amazon. People that are in the research phase looking for what the best product to buy are likely to go to Google and go through the Google shopping platform, which is now no longer based on what keywords, but really what data you're feeding to Google through your data feed. And then the third vertical in product search right now is the Shopify or the website-driven carts, which are primarily focused on a brand. And the way that those are successful are by reaching people before they are actually in the product search phase. And they're trying to inspire them, essentially, in an impulse buy scenario where they're reaching them on social networks and trying to drive them to a website to purchase a very specific product.
1: That's exactly it.
2: Well, I think that's a good overview of what the landscape of product search looks like. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Niahani for joining us. In part two of our interview with Nia, which we'll publish tomorrow, Nia is going to share some best practices in the product search industry and explain how his company evaluates their campaigns. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about CPC Strategy, go to cpcstrategy.com. If you'd like to read the transcript of this podcast, we've published it on our website, martechpod.com. If you're a subscriber to the Martech podcast, let me just stop and say thank you. We want you to feel like a member of our community. So if you ever have questions or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can reach me directly by going to our website, martechpod.com, or you can reach us on Twitter or LinkedIn. Our handle is LLC. If you're feeling super generous, we'd love for you to leave a review for us in the Apple iTunes store. And if you haven't subscribed to the MarTech podcast and you want a weekly feed of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our episode with Nia Honey from CPC Strategy, we've got some other great episodes lined up. So click that subscribe button in your podcast feed and we'll be back with you tomorrow. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy
0: thanks for listening to the martech podcast and i hear everything production Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.